space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're back again to talk to you a little bit about the Temporal Cold War, and then move on Ooh. to... <laughs> yeah, well, it's exciting <laughs> stuff. Um, and then move on to Lower Decks again, which is a little bit more exciting. Um, before we do that, though, a tiny little glimmer of hope for international audiences um, with Lower Decks... And at time of recording, I think this is still true, that episode one, and only episode one, is available on YouTube. And as far as I'm aware, that is globally. So if you've not managed to see any episodes yet, and you want to check out the first episode, you can do so on YouTube. Uh, don't shoot me, though, if that's not the case when you hear this. <laughs> at time yeah, of recording... Yeah, it, like, well, it's uh, 24th of August when we're recording, so... yeah. So it might not be the case uh, when this goes out. And if you're not listening to this, more or less as soon as it goes out, it might not be the case. But as of right now, you can do that. So that that's episode yeah. one, which we covered a couple of weeks ago. Um, as for the rest of the episodes, we still don't know, unfortunately. Uh, last thing we heard was, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the producers are aware of it. They're working on it. It's all to do with... Um, swapping around the scheduling so they haven't had as long to work on the deal but yeah i think cbs international is something to do with it as well yeah i think i think that's the way it's going to be perfectly honest um but yeah it won't surprise me if we got an announcement that's been released yeah and, I've uh, heard... and it's probably the same as disney plus where they had to get all the properties back exactly yeah uh, uh i've heard rumors it's gonna be called paramount plus don't know, um, but we'll we'll let you know as and when we hear anything about um, Lower Decks. At least seven weeks' time, we know Discovery is coming to Netflix internationally, so everybody should be able to have access to that. So, let's look at then, we're carrying on with the Temporal Cold War, picking up from the cliffhanger last week, and this is Shockwave Part 2. Now yeah, you... episode one of season two. Yeah, you don't sound too impressed. Um... Actually, no, I, I I quite liked watching this. Like, I watched, I did make a point of watching the two back to back. So yeah. I watched it literally as how Netflix is. As you know, you don't even get a recap if you watch it that way. No, that's true. It just throws you straight in. So it played, it played really well, I thought. Yeah, I don't... It's, it's just one long, long episode. Yeah, I don't think it's... I mean, we've talked about how Star Trek 2 parters generally, you tend to have a much stronger part 1 and a much weaker part 2. Um, yeah. As a general rule, I mean, by not by no means every single one, but this one, I think, yeah, they're probably on par with each other, but they're not the greatest. And I think we're seeing more of the cracks that we've talked about with the Temporal Cold War again. There's a lot of things in this that just happen with no real explanation and... Well, we get part of it, don't we? And uh, Archer even asks Daniels how he's protected from what's happened to his... Yeah. His time, how he's protected from all the devastation, how he's still there. And he goes, 
oh, you wouldn't understand. Yeah, and, that, and, and, and it was like a perfect opportunity to give us as the viewer a bit of a... Well, like, this is what, are, we in, are we on six or seven episodes of the Temporal Cold War yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. And we still don't know how they're doing everything. Yeah, it's oh, yeah, it's too complicated for you. And it's like, well, hang on. Like, it's all well and good him saying that, but it after a few times of this happening, it does make you just think, well, no, I think the writers haven't got this sussed out and that's what's actually going on. Yeah. Because one of the things we were talking about last week was, well, what's happening with Daniels? Why does history change around him? And it... Yeah, you how does he how's he how's he still there? And he just goes, it's complicated. Yeah. You wouldn't understand it. Well, well, give us a try, cause like, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, how long have we been doing our time travels series now? Oh, farewell since uh, since Picard ended. So. Yes, uh, so we've uh, we've done an episode every week, no problem, and we still haven't covered <laughs> every time travel. So as Star Trek fans, we're quite well versed on how time travel works. Oh, that's it, exactly. <laughs> and again, to me, and I've drawn this comparison before, but this reminds me of what they used to do in the X-Files a lot, where you'd have Mulder get a little bit closer to the truth and they'd go, oh, well, I can't explain it to you right now, but we need to go here. And then by the time they were getting there, someone had shoot the bloke who were going to tell him. And yeah. so you'd end up at the end of every episode. A lot of stuff's happened, but the characters aren't any further along in terms of the mystery. And I think, yeah. I think the X-Files got away with it a little bit more. I mean, people got fed up eventually, but they give you enough nuggets to keep stringing you along. Whereas I think the problem with this is that the central mystery of the Temple Cold War isn't interesting enough. And I think everybody feels that. I think the viewers feel it. I think the writers feel it. So as we've talked about well, before. Well, we've talked about the writers were for forced to do exactly. this by the studio. And I think that comes across in the way that they deal with it. You know, we're not even going to bother explaining it because we yeah, can't be bothered with it's it. It's annoying though, like, there's actually <laughs> 13 episodes in total for the Temporal Cold War. Yeah. There's only four seasons of Enterprise. So we've literally got an eighth of the entire story is the Temporal Cold War. Yeah, exactly. And also... And we're halfway through that and we don't know a thing about it, really. And you've it's... got to bear in mind as well that it's the last Temporal Cold War episode is episode two of season four. So really, it's only three seasons that yeah. are... So it's, yeah, it's a lot of the story, but it, it just feels to me like no one can be bothered with it, including the writers. And, yeah. And the problem like we, with that... We are so short. And... and then they wonder why Enterprise is arguably most people's least favourite. Well, yeah, because it's it, it's the fans who suffer as a result of this because we get a lacklustre TV show that can't even commit to its own premise, really. You yeah. know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but let's have a look at what else goes on in this one then. So it starts off with T'Pol invites Silic over because it's this business of, well... Um, where is Archer? Where is he? Well, why don't you come round and see if you can find him? And it's that's yeah, okay. Bear well, in mind, I think, I think she's. I think she was sort of looking at it that Enterprise at this point is surrounded by Sullivan yeah. ships. They outgun them, so they've got a choice: let them board, or they're going to get destroyed. How she sees it. Yeah, yeah. But I think like that's we, where we, she's we as viewers from. know that Silica's being ordered directly. 
that it's not allowed to destroy the Enterprise. Yes. But the Enterprise crew don't know this. No, and, like, we know that Archer's gone to the future, but T'Pol doesn't really know that at the moment. So, it she could, if she invites him over, for all she knows, Silic might find him, you know? It's a weird... Yeah. It's a weird position they're all putting themselves in. But, yeah, I don't think she had any other choice, really. And then... We do get that bit with Archer in the future where, you know, they gloss over everything, but... Yeah, but, a... well, I think this is interesting because we know Discovery's going to the 31st century yeah. and we've seen little clips that make it look like the Federation has been disbanded or it's in disarray or it's something totally different than yeah. what we're used to. And you get Daniels explaining where he lives is, like, from the Federation and he lives in, all, like, a perfect utopia... Yeah. paradise so i'm wondering if discovery is off to cause another different temporal shift maybe and if, it, and if the end of discovery season three or possibly even season four it's going to be the 31st century and everything in time getting back to what it should be it could be yeah i mean something else that jumped out at me there is he says the monument's gone yeah. and the monument to the federation now generally a monument commemorates something that's no longer there so that does make me wonder if you know this could tie in with what we know of what we're getting in discovery season three because it could be by the 31st century the federations as we've seen in the discovery trailers gone or like you say diminished or what have you so i'm i'm wondering because we don't like we got um the first mentions of the section 31 show Mm. stories being written so I've got this theory on this. We know Rochelle Yeo's meant to be the star in Section mm-hmm. 30, but she's gone forward to the 31st century of Discovery now. So I'm wondering if there is something to do with the Temporal Cold War, the created Temporal Anomalies, and then she comes back with the Section 31 show, and the reason Section 31 is sort of in the shadows and manipulating things in DS9 like we saw them, is that they actually tried to put the timeline right Oh, that'd be a good spin and on it. And she's come back, and we get um, almost Michelle Yeoh jumping. The Section 31 show becomes almost a diff- jumping through different eras of Starfleet, putting See, things back to right. I'd really like that. I think that'd be... This a... is my personal theory. There's no grounding for that. No, but, but I'd, out there first. I'd be up for that. I mean, I, I would be up for a Starfleet Department of Temporal Investigations show. And that that you're describing is along those lines. So, yeah, yeah I'd be up for something like that. And another weird thing in the, the future is the, they're in this library. And did I get this right? Like, Daniel says something like, oh, it should all be digital, but it's books because something's yeah. changed. Like, So, the Federation not happening means that we don't go digital for his data storage in the future. What? Well, I, I find that strange because... Let's be honest, we've gone... F- I know there is still libraries, books, and there is still the printing fall, but the reality is that we've got... That's almost a nostalgia thing now. We yeah, have yeah. already gone digital. You get every book on your Kindle if you want to read them. Yeah, and even... You don't buy... You've bought a Kindle, you don't buy the paper medium anymore. You buy it... You pay a couple of quid, you get, get it to read... But there's no waste of trees. No, exactly. And even in big libraries and stuff, all books are scanned. So we've got a digital 
yeah. thing. And, you know, even when this was made, we, we were moving towards digital data storage to that yeah. extent. So to imply that the Federation not existing means we go back to the printed word for some reason, it, it, that just makes no sense to me. I don't... I mean, yeah. it, it leads to quite a, a cool scene where they're looking at dusty old books and stuff. But oh, it does lead to a cool scene, but it's that... Um, it's just a weird concept. Like, like, I'd imagine, like, we know the Federation, and it's it was... Was it DS9 where they talked about it, where, the like, literally we invent better and better ways of storing information yeah. to actually reduce the size because... And, they sort of say humans are mad on logs and they need somewhere for all this Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can even see... But I imagine the Federation, how they are, would still have massive libraries of books. Oh, yeah. Just for nostalgia, even if they're almost like museums. Well, that's it. It might be that books, uh, yeah, are more or less kept in museums now. And, you know, they they probably do have... I just... well, we saw, like, Jean-Luc Picard had books that yeah, he read. Yeah, that's what I was um, going to say, yeah. Captain Kirk got a book for his birthday. Yeah, so I think you will still be able to get books, and there'll be people who like having books, and it'll probably be a bit like how vinyl keeps coming back in, you know, and it gets popular again with collectors. They'll, they'll probably go yeah. through phases in the future, like, oh... The 2350s books were really in again, and you know, then they, they dropped off. And but, but yeah, it, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Federation equals no... digital, no federation equals books, but um, very strange anyway. Back in the present, then. So, the Sullivan are doing this big search of the ship, and eventually, they believe that Archer's definitely gone. And it, it really reminded me of you know, the bit in. Uh, Life of Brian, where the Romans search the building. And then he comes back and goes, found this spoon, sir. (laughs) And that's what I thought about with the Sullivan there. Like, what have you found? (laughs) So, yeah, they they believe Archer's not there eventually. And meanwhile, you've got the Vulcans are sort of kicking off with Starfleet. And we know this from the last episode that they're probably going to recommend the mission be shut down. But now... The, the, he comes out with this thing that, well, it looks like Archer's kidnapped a Paul. We've got to assume that. Yeah. Like, bit of a leap. Bit of a bit of a yeah, leap bit of, of a logic. Leap. I mean, but but this is it does kind of fit in with what we've talked about with the portrayal of Vulcans on Enterprise that they they've yeah. got this agenda yeah. to close down but, Starfleet. Yeah, it's like we've we've talked about this and. Like, it just doesn't feel right about the Vulcans being like this. No. But if you accept that they are, then this business of, well, he's probably kidnapped to Paul kind of fits in. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he clearly doesn't believe that's true. They're using it as a, a pretext to send this ship and everything. So it is a weird portrayal of Vulcans, but it, it kind it, of it, fits. It, it, it's... it's... It's really weird. They're almost, they're almost more like Romulans than the Vulcans in yeah, Enterprise. A, a lot the more Vulcans so. we've seen in every other series of Star Trek. I mean, I suppose the implication could be, if we look at it in a broader context, that the Vulcans were a bit arsy and then becoming part of the Federation, getting to interact with humans, mellows them a little bit. But, but I don't think that is the case because... 
we know from Discovery and from the original series that Sarek's, you know, quite a, an outlier in how into humans he is, you know. Yeah. It's still looked at as, oh, well, Sarek's a bit weird, isn't he? You know, doing all this human-y stuff, so... I don't know. It is it is strange. Um, the Sullivan are worried that future guy's not going to be happy, but again, that's... Yeah, oh, well, he might take your powers away again like he didn't really do last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How bad will that be if you haven't got any powers? You won't be able to shape form, breathe in space, yeah. bend your body. <laughs> so it, why they're so worried about future guy, we don't really know. But yeah, because like, is... to be fair, the Sullivans seem to have a lot of magic powers without yeah. the magic powers he gives them. And this is this is another thing with the, the long sort of term planning of this. We, I think we need to start getting more answers at this point. Like it, this is, we've had a season of it. We we, but we don't actually know anything more well, really about the temporal cold war. All we know is that Daniels is from the thirty first century. Yeah, we, we know that the one that's talking to the Sullivan is from. Is it the twenty seventh or twenty seventh century? Something like is that. It? Yeah, twenty seventh. We don't know. We don't yeah. know what species they are. No, we don't really know what either of them's agenda is. I mean, Daniels, it seems to be what we'd imagine. We imagine that his goals are in line with the Federation's goals because he wants to preserve the Federation and this, yeah. that and the other. So we have to assume that the other guy wants to destroy it, but we don't know why. Yeah, we don't know his motivation or anything. We don't really know how. We don't know who he is. We don't know what he looks like. And it's, again, going back to that, the X-Files comparison. By the end of season one of the X-Files, we'd not got a lot, but we'd seen alien-human hybrids, and we knew that the government was working on a project to make alien-human hybrids, so we were getting bits of the bigger story. Yeah. Whereas this, we, we've sort of gone from square one to square one over the yeah, first season. Yeah, we're not really any further on no and again i think it's because the writers don't know or care what it is and that's just my well, assumption uh, well, you know i'd imagine like i know that it was forced on the producers but the way that star trek was then you submitted stories or you had a writing room so surely the writers should have somewhere you think so like surely like you know that you've been given that you have to do a time put time traveling so you set your stall out, right, we're going to do one eighth of our entire story. Yeah. It's going to be time. Right, what are we going to do? Temporal Cold War. Okay, who's the goodies? Who's the baddies? How does it work? Yeah, roughly how's it going to end? Yeah, and, and let's go from there. But, but this just seems like someone went, Temporal Cold War, okay, we'll use that. Yeah. And there was nothing else about it. It's just called Temporal Cold War. And it seems like when they're doing these episodes, it's they're just going, right, well, the Sullivan turn up, the Sullivan do something, Future Guy says a few cryptic things, Daniel says a few cryptic things, and we finish the episode no further on than we were. Yeah. And, it, you know, you can do that once or twice, but, you know, this is... Like... Is this the seventh episode of this? Yeah, something like that. So I feel like we need a bit of momentum in it. Yeah, but... got, like we've got, what did we say? We've got another seven weeks after this. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, we've already got something planned for our last episode before Picard, so we're yeah. not doing Enterprise. 
We actually finished. We the week finished before. the Temporal Kill War the week before, yeah. So we've got six more episodes. So seven. Epi- this is the seventh episode. Yeah. We're more than halfway through. Yeah, exactly. And we don't. Yeah, we're just not getting anywhere. But anyway, I mean, the, the actual events the of actual the episode, episode are entertaining enough. It's not bad. It's just that. No, like. Yeah, it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you've got plenty of stuff going on. Like you've got the Sullivaner interrogating to Paul, who still doesn't believe in time travel. Yeah. And then you've got this thing of Trip contacts Malcolm, and it, they come to this thing of, okay, we need to go through the crawl spaces. Only Hoshi's small enough to go through the crawl spaces. Like, she's not that tiny. And, and surely, like, when he's talking about the crawl spaces here, he's talking about the Jeffreys tubes. Yeah. Which are what the engineering staff use to get yeah. around the ship and fix things. And isn't he the chief engineer? He is. And then when we see <laughs> her in the crawl spaces, there's bags of room in there. It's, yeah, she, she could, if, she's waving her arms around if, like she just don't care. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to make it a plot point that this is a really start small scroll space... You can't just use your normal set, which is big enough for anybody to crawl through. Like, and, I think the only reason they did Hoshi was for when she'd finished in there and was dropping back out, so a top came off. Oh, yeah, that's... It was very Benny Hill was this. It was, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's, oh, she ends up with her tits out and it's just... And he almost, like, you know, Reed opens the door you almost expect, like, a sound effect, like, ba-doing, or something like yeah. that when he sees her. It's just his <laughs> eyes to pop out like Bugs Bunny or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's why they did it. But it, it does have this whole thing of, oh, she's the only one small enough. And it's, oh, and I've got claustrophobia, which doesn't really play a part. Like, if you want to do claustrophobia like they did with Garak in that DS9 now episode. That, now, that is how you do... Uh, a crawl space, a tiny crawl yeah. space with someone with claustrophobia. Exactly, that's good. It works. You believe it, but yeah. <laughs> this it, is just silly. Like, it's not like you could have gone to the right. You couldn't. Have, right, you put in Hoshi in there. She's got claustrophobia. The tight crawl space. Watch this episode of DS Nine when they did that for how you should do it. Yeah, <laughs> and like if you're not gonna do it, you know, if you're not gonna pay that off and have something about her claustrophobia, just don't bother dropping it in. Just have her say, no, I don't like that idea. Can't you do it? No, you're the only one small enough. Well, it's a bit like how, how a, sh- a top rips off. Yeah. You don't see anything, but it's, it's there. But it goes no further. No, it's just... So it's like, so why have you done it? Well, we what? know why they've done it, but... Yeah, but it's like, what? It's... it's... Yeah, it's it's silly. It um, is, just no, no excuse and for then... it. And then... A couple of minutes later, you get this thing where T'Pol's sort of like playing possum to draw him in. And then Reed and Trip drop out of the crawl spaces and it's like, well, hang on a second. They're, yeah. they're too small for you to hide in. So yeah. it, it's Did you too... rig that hook up for Horshit? Yeah, what we're going on there, yeah. It's, oh, right, Reed, we'll send her through and then she'll have her tits out. Right, get your camera. And, <laughs> oh, she covered him up, bugger. You know, oh, but she didn't. She walked through the corridor, and we know that all the corridors have got cameras. Ah, there you go. So yeah, so we Reed, can watch it later. It'll be on looping. Yeah, um, Reed's there with his yeah his, mess. his security mess cameras later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Starfleet hashtag me too, and Reed's gonna get the sack. Uh, yeah, really weird. But the other side of it then is that back in the future, Daniels has got a plan to send a message. 
And it's, right, I, I can send messages because I know how to do it from when I were a kid. Fair enough, we'll, we'll go with that. Yeah, and it's how uh, other temporal guy who's from earlier in time, so they don't know how to move, they just send messages. Yeah, they just send messages. So we're doing a similar thing, except we can see Archer's face, so Daniel's is, is obviously a bit better. And he's talking to T'Pol, and see, this is quite good, that T'Pol's, like, visibly shaken by the interrogation. Because it does look like they were torturing her, and at least you yeah. get a bit of a payoff to that in the next scene. That you know she's she's sort of curled up on the bed and everything. Yeah, it's almost like she doesn't believe what she's saying. Yeah, exactly. And Archer gives her the plan, and this leads to Reed later on goes into Daniel's quarters. There's quite a cool bit where he puts his hand through the thing, and it's not coming out the other side because it's obviously in a different quantum yeah. state and everything. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then he, he brings out this thing, which I'm just going to call the thing for the rest of the episode because it's never clear what it is. But Well, I I think it's some sort of, um, you know, like Captain Jack has his bracelet that oh, yeah. lets him manipulate a time vortex creator. Maybe, yeah. Because... I think it's a time vortex creator so that Archer can get back. Maybe, but then Reed says, I've got to destroy it. But maybe well, he says that so the no, Silic won't. No, he says that won't. to Silic, don't he? Yeah. So I think that's sort of like a double bluff on Silic. Right. I, I think they've realised that he was playing poker with them when he said he was he'd destroy the ship. Yeah. So they're playing their bluff back at him now. Yeah, so it's right. They know we need it, so let's pretend. Yeah. Right, okay, we'll go with that. And that, so yeah, this, it leads to, it looks like it's Future Guy, but it's not, it's Archer, and he jumps yeah, through. Yeah, because he, ta- he takes his thing back, doesn't he, and he's... Yeah. And he's got it in front of, like, the time communicator device that they, the Sullivan use with yeah. Future Unknown Guy. And, that, and that's why I think it's a vortex manipulator so of some So that form, seems but to... But it needs to be close to the, temp- that, the time communicator. Yeah, and that lets, that lets Archer jump back through. Yeah. Do we ever get that actually said, or do we just have to... No, we're just making this up. Right, because that's but what I, I thought. Think, I think that what we're doing is we're filling in the gaps for the lazy writers who didn't have a clue what they were doing with the no. episode. Right, well, yeah, okay, so, yeah, obviously they need this thing so that Archer can, like, zone in on it from the future so he can come back through, and, yeah, it, he does destroy it, rather than take it with him. So, not quite sure on that. Like, wouldn't it have been better because he knows he's going to escape? Maybe he destroys it just in case he don't manage to escape. Yeah, I think and that's more precautionary. He's back, so yeah. destroy it now. You can't let it fall and, into And Daniels, because Daniels could just move anywhere in time yeah. without any machinery and be protected from yeah any anything temporal. Doesn't actually need a time vortex manipulator. He's just got magic powers. Yep, that's fine. That's till we find out more. That's what we're going to have to go with. Right, and that is it in canon from now on. Then, yeah, that'll <laughs> do. I don't believe that we ever actually find out anymore. No, I'm holding out hope that we do. I'm convinced we're going to get the Daniels episode that's going to explain everything. Okay. Um. So yeah, and that's pretty much it, isn't it? They everything's wrapped up. We assume that Archer well, being back got, makes well, time uh, better. Trip does a nice little thing with the Enterprise. Doesn't oh yes, sorry, he does. Yeah. It makes it look like they're having a warp corporation. Yeah. It starts sparking and fire and all sorts. So Silic's like, right, we've got to get it away from the nebula. 
and yeah, they they manage to escape and everything. But then Archer catches up with them in his Sullivan pod that he's stolen. Yeah, and like I know it's not the Starfleet way, but he does say, "Oh, I, you know, I played it a bit fast and loose, and I kidnapped someone. Just kill him." Just kill Silic at this point, or at least keep him and turn him over. Uh... Well, it does say that he's got a prisoner. So what happens to this prisoner? Because um, well, I presume is... that they just give him well, back. But it's... well, well, I'm assuming that he's got him as a prisoner. So, like, I do know the next episode starts with uh, the Enterprise being repaired at Earth. Right. It's in, it's in like one of them dock things that they have. Right. In orbit. So. I'm assuming they've gone back to work and handed over Silly. Now, we'll have to wait for another cold, Temporal Cold War episode to find out what happens to him, I think. Yeah, but I'm hoping that's what happens, because otherwise that's just stupid, giving him back again. And we get the Vulcans, and the Vulcans are still giving him a bollocking and recommended yeah, that, that they recall yeah. everything. Yeah, it's sort of like it's quite obvious you didn't cause the explosion that killed all the settlers. Yeah. But... You've uh, managed to X, Y, and Z in your first year out there, so we think you should come back. Yeah, we think you should come back anyway. And Archer makes a speech, and T'Pol backs him up. Well, T'Pol makes a really good speech. Yes, yeah, she does. And and it like it shocks the Vulcans because she's backing up, backing yeah. up Archer. But she's right. She's like, well, you're talking about that Andorian thing, and it was actually you would been you were being pretty scummy there as well. So yeah, every. Every not to put listening spying centres in our cultural relics. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's pretty good, and I, I like where they're going with Paul That she's she's completely like Team Enterprise now, isn't she? Yeah. She, there's no sort of divided loyalty, and Archer goes and has a chat with her and says, like, you know, you made all the difference, but she's like, I still don't believe in time travel, which is getting a bit silly now. But yeah, you know. there's like we're starting to get quite a. Well, are we getting a lot of evidence of time travel? Well, from is. her point of view, all she's she knows here is Archer told her that when he was in bed, he appeared ten months earlier in bed at, at home at Starfleet Command instead of on the Enterprise. Yeah, and then he came back, and and then he's gotten into a turbo to get go to the Sullivan, and she knows nothing after that. She's got a holographic message off of him. Well, she's a bit dazed and confused. Yeah, so for and all... Then, and then he's back in the Sullivan pod. Yeah, for all she knows, he could have been kidnapped by the Sullivan all along and he could yeah. have sent her that from anywhere, so yeah. Yeah, she she's not she's not actually seen any proof of it, so I'm no. fine with her still not believing any of it. See, this is, again, it's going back to my X-Files comparisons, but this is like... How Scully was always like, no, don't believe it, even though she got kidnapped by aliens herself. Yeah. And <laughs> it just got a bit silly after a while. Uh, but then in season eight, she started believing in everything again. So Yeah, but it's like, it's, there's a lot of comparisons of that where, yeah, all the evidence, no, I still don't believe. Yeah, but, you know, again, though, I don't mind it because it, at least it's something. It's a, it's a character arc that she's going on. Yeah. Um, so we'll no doubt see more of that. Yeah, so that's pretty much Shockwave Part 2 then. Shall we move on to Lower Decks? Yeah, like, like let's be fair to this. As an Enterprise episode story, I know that we've slated the writers for not explaining Temporal Cold War, mm. but as an actual story, if you forget about that little bit, yeah, it's yeah. quite a good episode. Yeah. It's, it's an enjoyable episode, and you can yeah. quite eat, like, 
you could quite easily watch this on its own. There's no need to worry no, about there the isn't. Temporal Cold War part. That's In fact, it. You could, any of the episodes that have anything to do with the Temporal Cold War, yeah, you there's can. no need to worry about watching any of the others. No, the, the, the thing is, the actual incident and adventure within the episode is fine. It's yeah. just that they seem to think that just saying the Temporal Cold War is going to give it this added sort of gravitas, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. It just makes it... Like, I, I honestly think it's thing, it's things like this with the Temporal Cold War that were, part, that were Enterprise's failings. Oh, it was. Months, and, it's, and I don't mean the premise of having a Temporal Cold War, because I imagine it could be done really, really well. Yeah, it's just the fact that... But it's that... the fact that... They couldn't be asked with it. No, exactly, and it shows. <laughs> That's the bad thing. <laughs> so, yeah, if you've not caught up with Lower Decks yet, we're about to go into spoilers on episode three. Um, so we'll give you a red alert, Claxon, and you can come back and listen to it once you've seen it. <coughs> Lower Decks episode three, then, Temporal Edict, uh, which... That sounds like this is going to be a time travel one, but it's not. Well, that's what I thought as soon as I saw the title. I did as well. Um, and it, it only sort of, yeah, it's obviously getting at this thing of skiving off, basically. Um, so it loosely fits in, but Temporal Edict sounds posher than um, yeah. Buffer Time, which they could have called it. Well, I, th- I think it's done deliberately just to yeah. do that play on words. It does. It sounds more like a, tr- a Star Trek title, does Temporal Edict. So uh, it sounds, uh, you know, in keeping with Lower Dex's style, it sounds like a next-gen kind of episode title. Yeah, it does. So I, I thought the teaser again this week was brilliant. Like, I, it's... I, like I will say now, this is my favourite episode so far of Lower Dex. Yeah, me too. I think This is the first one that... I've laughed out loud. Yeah, I think I've watched it. I think it's the, the funniest one so far. I think it's the most consistent one. I think it's the best paced one. Yeah, and it's the one that's got least of the problems that we had. Um, you know, with the earlier episodes, like we talked about, all being too hyper. It's it's like you yeah. said last week. It's it's well, slowed down split, a bit the, again. The split up in this episode, Boimler and Milner, are pretty much split up for the whole episode. Yeah. You have a little bit of interaction at the beginning, but but yeah, you've you've got them each with their own little stories, so they're not being hyper at each other. So it, yeah. it does balance it out. But yeah, the the opening bit, you've got Boimler playing the violin, which is very in keeping with the stuff we see in TNG. Now, Voyager. What, I, what I really like about this is like what we what we used to see in TNG was. There'd be people playing a string quartet, or yeah. there'd be Riker with his playing a bit of jazz. Yeah. And I'm not being funny, but a string quartet or a bit of jazz, it that's maybe a bit of jazz, I wouldn't mind too much, but a string quartet would bother the hell out of me. Yeah, it would. And it's, it's not the sort of thing I want, I want to see. I think if you want to see something like that, you go somewhere else specifically to see it. <laughs> yeah. Not, not just somebody in the bar. That, like, it's open mic. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have different genres, and yeah, this is and, something. And I just love the fact that Boimler's there playing his violin, and everyone looks like they can't stand it. And just when he finishes, just one person gives like yeah. a lackluster clap, just so the summer. Yeah, it's like in TNG where it was always right. We're going to go listen to Data's poetry. You'd be like, oh my god. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's great. And then Mariner obviously comes on with an electric guitar and blasts out Shit. some power chords. I don't, I don't know what this is called, but here you go. Yeah, and bit that, of death metal. <laughs> yeah, and that's great because that you know Star Trek did always in nineties Trek. There was sort of this idea that sort of popular culture before the fifties never really happened. You know, there was no yeah. rock and roll, no nothing, and it's good that we're seeing that. And we've all you know. Lower Decks isn't trend setting here. You know, the Kelvin movies did it. Discovery's yeah. done it. So, But it's good that we're, we're carrying on with that now. Yeah, that we're not just saying that in the future, people will listen to what we call classical music. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure in the future people still will listen to classical music. Yeah, they will, but it won't be all they listen to. I'm sure that people will be listening to music from the 50s they might like, or the 60s. Yeah, or just at least... 80s, 70s uh, was a bit crap. <laughs> At least the genres will exist, though. You know, there will yeah. be rock music and there will be metal. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I like the bit the Klingon thinks they're mocking him with all the bass. Which is that just... It's not an arm engineer. You die today. Yeah. And then the security guy comes down and breaks the violin so he thinks yeah. it's mindless. You know, that's great. It's a brilliant little sequence and it's... It's the sort of thing you might have got on Robot Chicken or something like that. Yeah. If you were just going to do a little Star Trek skit, and that's it. That it, It's not linked to the rest... Nothing. It's not linked to anything else in the rest of the story. No. Oh, there's one thing I want to say, though, about the Klingons, and we should have said it last week. Go on. We've got Klingons back. Yeah, yeah, true. They're not Discovery Klingons. No, these are next generation DS9 Klingons. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, it, yeah, I want to see Klingons in Picard to see what they do with them. And I think they should look more like the TNG Klingons. But... Yeah, um, what what would have been nice and what they could have done really clever if they wanted to. Last week when we had them go to the Klingon compound, yeah, they could have actually had the different types of Klingons yeah. so they looked like different sects. Yeah, that would have been really but... good, have some TOS Klingons and some... Yeah, so they looked like we had... Oh well, this type of Klingon does look like that. Yeah. This type looks like that. And... Sort of how they've done with the Romulans. With the now we've got North and South Romulans. Yeah. So yeah, I would like to see something like that. But yeah, the proper TNG Klingons. And yeah, the main part of the episode then. So we're going to Cardassia Prime, which is good. We've got a shout out to a, a DS9 planet, and yeah. you know it's one of the first DS9 references. Well. I know Cardassia is just generally a world, but it's nice to acknowledge the DS9 corner of the universe, and obviously we do that a lot more right at the end of the episode, so we'll get to that. Uh, but obviously it gets cancelled, and instead they have to go on this mission to deliver trinkets to it. And I like this stuff you get from Ransom, the first officer, where he's he's like trying to put a positive spin on it, and it's like, she says, oh, we're just a joke. And he's like, well, then we'll be the best joke in the fleet. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think it's always been the case, but in this episode, it's so clear that Ransom is just a piss-taker Riker. Oh. Yeah, he's, oh. he's how anyone in the real world would who didn't know him would see Riker. Like, because if you didn't know Riker, you would just think you were a dick. And... This is what Ransom is. You know, everything's like, hey, and the way he yeah. stands, and it's just all so over the top. And I'm glad we got to spend a bit of time with him this episode. 
yeah, it was like we seemed to spend a bit more time with the captain, a bit more time with first officer. Yeah. Which I know the show's lower decks and they're our main characters. Yeah. But we do have to remember that these, like the command's crew that are setting us off on all these yeah, missions. Yeah, and it's and... and it's good to have the interplay between the different the hierarchies, you know. To yeah. Get... So uh, um, Blackadder did it really well. Like you always had. Blackadder was always the highest up the social ladder, then George or Percy, then Baldrick at the bottom, and yeah. it's the interaction between the different layers that make it interesting. So I like all that stuff. I like I like that they all call it buffer time. Oh, you know, that, they, that, which, is, that is brilliant. <laughs> and obviously it goes back to Scotty's thing, you know, it, you yeah, know how, how, long... how are you going to look like a miracle worker? Yeah, and this but, is taking it further, you know, just acknowledging, yeah, well, everybody does it. And let's be honest, if you've any sense, everybody does this at every job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, well, it, oh, it, it's definitely something. But, like, I was I was watching one thing, though, about this, and they were saying that there's, with Hollywood, they expect with animated shows that they can p- pump them out quicker yeah. than a live action. And, like, is this a little dig at sort of like the studio? Maybe so, yeah. Trying to push for the, the speed and all that and yeah. get things out quicker. There's no, it takes a long time to animate anything, particularly if yeah. you're doing hand-drawn like they are with this. And yeah, it could well be. And I like the bit where um, the Tandy sort of says, oh, it'll take five hours to fix the bio then. And she goes, what? Oh, that's what? brilliant. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's obviously this thing of everybody exaggerates it a bit. And we do see later on in the episode that when they take it away, you actually can get things done in the time that well, you're supposed you, to. Well, so, what you had was that the command staff suddenly started telling you how fast they wanted something doing. Yeah. And they were oh, under, overestimating, underestimating. Yeah, underestimating the time it would take, Yeah. So I think the moral of the story is, you know, you do need a bit of leeway, but maybe not quite as much as they were taking to begin with. But, <laughs> you know, it's because they end up getting timed on the tasks, don't they? And yeah. That's obviously a dig at, you know, so you get this in workplaces. You know, right, we're going to do task timings now. Oh. And it the whole concept of it is ridiculous because... If you tell your workforce, we're going to be timing you to work out an average so that we can set you a target for how long this should take, you're not going to work your fastest. Well, you shouldn't do. No, because it it's ridiculous. Like, I remember when I worked at um, Bright House for my sins, but luckily that place has got shut down now anyway. But um, the one of the managers who came in said, right, we've got to put this table up for display in the window. And he said, uh, my best time for putting one of these up is 10 minutes. Let's see how you can do. I'm like, well, it's going to take me 20 minutes. You know, I'm I'm not going to try and beat your record time because yeah. then next time you want one doing, you'll expect it done in 10 minutes. It's not happening, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well done, you can do it in 10 minutes. Well, you do it in 10 Good. minutes. You can do two of them while I do one then, you know, that's brilliant. So, you know, the whole idea of task timing is it's counterproductive anyway because nobody's going to work as fast as they can. And the fact is that, yes, if you have to get something done within a certain space of time, you probably can as a one-off, but you can't do it time in, time out because it's yeah. too knackering. You know, so... It... Well, like, 
when I worked at McDonald's, they used to do this twice a year. Yeah. Sorry, once a year. And you had this big visits and yeah. all that. And the time you're doing things. But on this on these visits, he had twice as many staff in as well yeah, exactly. in Hollywood. So it was unrealistic. Yeah, so it's, just, it's what ridiculous. So we allowed this many staff in normally. But if we have this many staff in, we can meet your targets. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't make sense. It's, no, it's, it's just it ridiculous. was a nonsense. It's, again, uh, we're just going through all our careers here. But w- when I worked at William Mills, the bookies, and at Grand National Day, you you had to do like thousands of bets more than you usually would do. And yeah, yeah we managed to do it one day a year, but we were knackered. And you, like, could, you couldn't do it every day. Like when I was working as a chef, I was uh, looking a lot of places because Christmas Day was always looked at being your busiest day of the yeah, year. Yeah. Or, like flagship day. And I was very lucky. I managed to convince my bosses, let's not do like other places. Let's just do one sitting. Mm. They, they're paying two, three times more than normal for the meal on this yeah. day. So you're making your money, you're covering your wages, no problem. So let's not treat them like bloody cattle and expect them to get through four courses in an hour exactly. and a half. Like, I, I used to work at one gastro pub and there was one down the road on Christmas Day. And we're doing one sitting and this place tried to do three sittings. And that's, yeah, that's crazy. And he had three crews, queues at his till afterwards. He had a queue waiting to order still, <laughs> a queue waiting to pay... And a queue waiting for refunds oh, because, because they messed it up. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and, and this is what this episode's getting at. It's basically having a dig at bureaucracy and the the ridiculousness of all yeah. of these things. But it's also kind of doing, it's taking day-to-day mundane things that everybody who's worked any kind of, well, any kind of job, really, has gone through and it's going, look, these things still happen in the Star Trek universe and they're still funny. So, yeah, I like where they're going with it. Uh, The main plot then with Mariner is she goes to the planet, it all goes wrong so they take a stick instead of a a jewel. A crystal. Yeah. (laughs) And she has all these interactions with Ransom and it's like... Well, well, they have have a fight, don't they? Yeah. I was actually annoyed here because, like, they're getting attacked with the spears... And I got it straight away. This is just like original series. Yeah, yeah. used to get attacked. And she, did, she didn't have to say, oh, it's like 2260 and Captain yeah. Kirk. She didn't need to say no, that. No, we I got, got it. I got the joke. I didn't need it explaining to me. Yeah, we got it. Absolutely. And I mean, a, a joke that's better is where you've got the bullying guy who gets hit by a spear and they go... We're on a spaceship. Nobody dies really from getting hit by a spear. Really, on a spaceship. You're going to die from a spear. Yeah, and you know that is a joke because yep, yeah, lots of red shirts died from getting hit by spears. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's you don't need to do it. Like know your audience. You know. Yeah, you don't need like it, it is that thing that a joke can be ruined by if you have to explain yeah. it. Yeah, shouldn't have to explain a joke. Yeah, it's uh, if your audience and she explained it here, which. No, yeah. don't if, do that to me. If your audience is, like, Star Trek savvy enough to get the joke when she says it, they'll have got the joke without her saying it. Yeah, and if it's a new, if it's somebody new to Star Trek, yeah, because it's an animated cartoon, funny, and they're watching it for that reason, 
Yeah, it's not going to work. They're not going to get the reference of 2266. Exactly, so, yeah. So, and that would ruin what's happening. Exactly. So, no. Yeah, it's the first time that they've done it, and I hope it's the last. I hope yeah. it's not a trend where they have to feel like they have to explain some of the jokes. Yeah, Because jokes aren't funny if you have to explain it. And they don't do it all the time. Uh, you know, there's gags in this episode where they don't explain it. Like where Ransom's fighting the, the big oh, guy and he's doing Kirk Thu on him. Well, what, like this, that fight, it's just brilliant because how many times did Kirk get his shirt ripped oh, in a fight? Oh, yeah, absolutely, it, yeah. It must be in every other, other episode Kirk got his shirt ripped. So oh, it was, reason. I mean, there's one And Ransom doesn't even wait for it to get ripped, he just rips it off himself. Yeah, because <laughs> there's one TOS episode and I forget, it might be The Naked Time... Uh, it's one of the ones where there's a virus and Bones has had to make a cure for it. And Kirk walks up onto the bridge and Bones rips his shirt off so he can inject him in the yeah. arm with his thing and it's just ridiculous. It's not like, has he, like, I've often wondered if um, Bill Shatner had in his contract that you will have to have your shirt ripped in some, ripped off or ripped every two or three episodes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he wanted to show off the body he's got going on and everything, you know. Maybe so, yeah. He obviously was not averse to it anyway, because yeah. it happened a lot. <laughs> but yeah, so that's all really good, and he's doing all the, the Kirk Foo moves. And oh, that, that's what I mean, yeah. like, they don't, she don't have a little aside where she says, oh, he's fighting just like Captain Kirk. You know, she don't need to. Yeah, she no, it's like, it's doing all Kirk Fu. I don't need a spear. I can beat you with my fists. Yeah. And I like the twist that the, the big and guy, Vindor. Yes. And oh, the music was just, yes. <laughs> like the mock time, sort of. Yeah. And yeah, Vindor, it turns out, is like, I thought you could only say Vindor. It's like, no, no, I, I like to read. I just do it to make everyone think I'm really big and strong. <laughs> So I really, I thought that was really good, all the stuff going on there. And then on the other side, you've got the ship getting taken over. And there's a really good bit where the captain says, uh, repel all intruders, but do not use it as an excuse not to do your assigned tasks. Yeah, they can, they can manage to do all this on the Enterprise. Yeah, they, they, multi, they? they multitask on sure the Enterprise. Are you sure they do that? I'm sure that when they're being boarded, they don't carry on repairing something. <laughs> yeah, probably so. Yeah, so... Yeah, I really like both the plots that they've got going on in this one. And, you know, obviously, eventually it gets wrapped up. They retake the ship. Well, yeah, Boimler's like, well, well, all this has been going on with buffer time and everyone's getting stressed and nothing's getting done properly. Boimler's walking through it, happy as Larry, in it? Yeah, and he, yes, says, it's great. he says to the captain, yeah, they're not all like me, you know? <laughs> the people yeah. need buffer not time. everyone's a Boimler. Yeah. <laughs> And so they, it looks like they end up doing the gift giving again and they get it right this time. And um, I like the bit in uh, Marriott with Mariner in Sick Bay where, because she had the bit earlier on where she's showing off her scars and she's like, well, uh, I'm going to keep this one on my foot because it'll make a decent scar. Yeah. And the cat says, well, I can get rid of him. So oh, congratulations, you look like a fucking scratching post. Yeah, like we've had on the planet as well, we jumped, like we had when Ransom's fighting and he's got his chest out, we've got uh, Mariners, she starts uh, fancying him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I think there's definitely a thing going on with both of them, isn't there? I think that might be a... I, I think that could be something that c comes up at this. I it think looks so. like it's heading there. And obviously you'll have the the thing there, because the captain's a mum, 
Yeah. And if you've got the first officer in a relationship with a daughter who's also a tear away. So I think, <laughs> I think that's where we're going to go with that. And then it finishes with this thing of, um, we're going to put it as a mandate now that you get buffer time, but we're going to call it the Boimler effect. Yeah, and he gets a plaque. Yeah, he gets a plaque <laughs> that looks like the dedication plaques for the ships. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not set in stone. It's like, yeah, but I've got a plaque. <laughs> and then we get that great sort of coda at the end where we, we cut to a school in the far future and they're teaching the Boimler effect. And... Yeah, the, the, the laziest officer ever in staff just yeah. athletes. <laughs> and there's a there's a Borg or an ex-Borg yeah. in it looks like in Starfleet Academy or at least in school there. So that's you know, if we're tying it into Picard, it shows that the the ex bees must get integrated more into society or something, well, or you, Well you'd assume so. Like Picard's only set about ten years after after this, yeah. Lower decks, so it'd be wrong if they didn't. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe the XBs become their own species, totally separate to the Borg. Yeah. Um, And then, obviously, we get right at the end, so now we'll talk about the most important person in Starfleet, and it's Chief O'Brien. Which I have no problem with that. No, I haven't, and <laughs> it's, I think, it's a bit of an Easter egg, the... Um, the picture of him the used looks like that. Have you seen that comic where it's like Chief O'Brien's... I have I've heard that. That's what it's based on. It looks like that. It's this. If anyone's not seen it, it I think like, it's... I have no problem with the say, them saying that Chief O'Brien's the most important ever, person ever in Starfleet. Like, look at what he did as an engineer in DS9. Oh, I yeah. know we all love Scotty, but Chief O'Brien was work, wasn't working in, like, the flagship no, was... on the flagship, which the Enterprise was. It wasn't even It was dealing working. with alien technology and making it work. And... Exactly, and he played a big part in the Dominion War, and yeah. and after that, he goes sort of to head up Utopia Planitia, or oh no, to teach yeah. at the Academy, so um, yeah, it's Geordie like, who does Utopia Planitia. Yeah, like, I was thinking about this when they said, and I was thinking, like, with engineers, you'd put Scotty up there, but I think O'Brien probably... You'd have to say he's yeah. better. The thing with O'Brien is like, uh, he's not... Geordie's rubbish. Yeah, Geordie's... When you think about it, like, Geordie, he was on the flagship, state-of-the-art ship, so he had to sort of keep things going. But every time there was a major problem, it was always somebody else came up with the solution. Usually Wesley, yeah. And... Wesley or Data or... Yeah, and the, the other thing with Geordie is like, he... He's more sort of like flashy, whereas O'Brien were more sort of down to earth, gets his hands dirty, and yeah. And also, Geordie, like he, Geordie's re- Geordie is that good an engineer? He's directly responsible for the Enterprise D getting blown up. <laughs> he true. A, is that good an engineer? He got kidnapped in his visor that he wears. That's true. Was reverse engineered and as. Chief engineer, he didn't notice it being reverse engineered into a camera. That's very true. In fact, is that and good? And it was a better camera than he was able to do yes. the time that we saw it used. And is that good an engineer? Gun. It takes him seven seasons and two movies to actually get contact lenses rather than a visor. But even then, like the Klingons kidnap him, the reverse engineer his visor to make it a better camera yeah. than what he could do for transmitting. But he's wearing this thing and he doesn't know anything's been done to it. True. <laughs> and 
he also, you get the feeling he only really got the engineering role just because they went through engineers like Spinal Tap drummers in first season. It were a yeah. different chief engineer every week. And then you get the feeling that you sort of went, ah, should we give Jordy a crack at it and see how he gets on? Yeah. That was always weird in Next Gen. Like, we're not going to have a chief engineer as a main character. We'll just have guest stars every week and change it. Very strange season one. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Chief O'Brien, most important man in Starfleet history. And yeah, we'll go with that. We're yeah, happy with I'm that. I'm fine with that. So yeah, I think I think we agree then. It, it, it is the strongest episode so far. Yeah. And yeah, interested to see what else we get from it. It's definitely yeah. becoming... There's lots of Easter eggs in it. Like, we had near the beginning when Boiler let slip about buffer time to the captain. Yeah, yeah. When he's on his own in turbo lift, he's humming the tune to next gen. Yes, yeah, very good. And this yeah, is there's, the some, thing. there's some really nice touches. There is. It was a good episode. Like, I'm getting to the stage now with this. I wasn't sure the first episode, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good fun. I look forward to seeing a new episode. And yeah. we're in a position where we can have this. Like, if this was the only Star Trek on. I'd be a bit annoyed, I think. But the fact that we can have a show like this that's just a bit of fun, and then we get as as main fix of Star Trek from the yeah. other shows later in the year, brilliant. Yeah, like I think I I think there's room for all these different types Definitely. of Star Trek shows. Yeah, absolutely. So that about does us for this week. Then, if you want to get in touch with us, you can join us on the Facebook group, which just search for Retrek. You can tweet us at RetrekPod. You can email us, retrekpod at gmail.com. And we'll be back next time to talk about more of the Temporal Cold War and episode four of Lower Decks. Yep. Thanks for trekking with us this time, and we'll see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye.